Um, you know, reading through Proverbs, in the, the, particularly in this section, from chapter 10 to the middle of chapter 22, where they are mostly like every proverb is on a different subject, really impresses you with how wise God is and with how much insight he has into life. There are some proverbs that deal with related themes or even some that are repeated because some points need to be emphasized more. But there is incredible diversity in these proverbs. We see so many principles and the proverbs are so much little nuggets of wisdom. And you can just, uh, you know, chew on them and, and get new flavor out of them constantly because there's so much depth to them. You know, you get a little two-line proverb and you could just think about that all day or all week and you could see more and more application and more and more principles that help your life. One of the drawbacks of studying like this is we're not taking long enough on each proverb. You know, uh, and, and, and to really do that we just have to keep thinking about it and keep seeing it in different contexts. A lot of Proverbs will deal with your family life, they'll deal with your school life, they'll deal with your personal life, they'll deal with things at church. You can just think a lot about even a lot of different situations in which the proverb would have application. So we really need to savor these and to do justice to them, we really need to take them home and keep studying them. You know, keep, take a proverb, you know, often and think about it a while and take another one and think about it and, and think about how would I use this in different situations. So, um, that, and we're definitely in this, uh, in this section where almost every verse is a different subject. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of organizational anything to do with most of this. Uh, so we'll just kind of talk through them one at a time, but we'll read a few of them. So chapter 20, somebody want to read 6 to 12. Many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. A king who sits on the throne of justice disperses all evil with his eyes. Who can say, I have cleansed my heart, I am pure from my sin? Deferring weights and deferring measures. Both of them are abominable to the Lord. It is by his deeds that a lad distinguishes himself, if his, con if his conduct is pure and right. The hearing ear and the seeing eye of the Lord has made both of them. Okay. In verse 6, <laughs> what do you see? What kind of a contrast? Brandon. Someone that will say that they're faithful and then there's one that actually is faithful. Yes. How many people will say that they're trustworthy? Oh, lots. Everybody will brag on how trustworthy and reliable they are. But who can find a trustworthy man? There's a lot of difference between what people say about themselves and their performance. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> you know, and so don't be deceived by an advertiser who brags on how much you can count on him because we know in practice it doesn't always work out that way. There's a lot of people who don't end up doing 
uh, you know, being as loyal as they say. What about you? Are you one of those guys? Do you talk like you're somebody that is always reliable and always responsible? And then when it comes right down to it, it was just talk. Oh, I'll be there. I'll do that. You can, you can count on me. I'll get the job done. I'll be there for you or whatever. Uh, it's easy to talk it, isn't it? You know, why do you think people are like this? Want people to think highly of them? Sure. We want people to respect us. And so we will say things that indicate, you know, we're, we're responsible. Sometimes we really expect to be. You know, we really think, oh, yes, I'll do this. But then we don't have follow through. You know, we don't do what it takes. Chris? <laughs> we don't know that we're not. We think we are. You know, there, we talk to people a lot that that don't see their failings as fitting in that category, such as lying or something like that. No, I, you know, I'm I'm not that way. So they deceive themselves. How could we not see that? Pride. Pride. We want to see ourselves as who we want to be, not who we actually are. Yes. Many times it's easier to see the faults of others than to look back at us. I suspect sometimes, too, do you ever make a commitment? And then you just kind of totally forget about it. You totally, you move on to whatever else you're thinking about, and that's gone. You know, you kind of just jump from one thing to another. And so you're not trustworthy because you don't follow through. You, you know, often people who say, yes, I'll commit myself to this, really aren't committing themselves deeply. They're just moved at the moment to think, yeah, I'll do that. Thoughts and comments. That's pretty practical. Or we make an excuse as to why we didn't do it, and that therefore nullifies any, you know, untrustworthiness. Yes, we've always got good reasons to justify. Yeah, and take the cat to the vet, so therefore, it's not right. <laughs> Yes. yes, exactly. Good point. That's one reason we don't see our faults, isn't it? We've got, always got a reason, and so it's really okay, and we really didn't mess up. Good point. What else? Marcus? Sometimes we think in the good things, and we think that just by thinking, we are already holy, and we don't uh, track but that in practice. Good point, yes. It's easy to think that because we have a good heart, that doing the right thing isn't important. Yeah. Other thoughts? John? It could involve overcommitting as well, just not realizing I can't commit to everything. Just because everything that, the number of things that come along may be good, doesn't mean I can be a part or be responsible for all of them. People overcommit. That doesn't seem like a very smart thing to do. Please, people. Please, people. Do you want to say no? Somebody says, I really need you to do this. And what do you want to say? Well, sure. Because we want them to be happy with us. And we don't even really think about 
you know, the responsibility involved, the commitment, you know, what it's really going to take? You, you ever, are you ever like that? You know, just wanting to make somebody happy at the moment, but you haven't even really considered whether you could? You know, I think a lot of people do that. Do you do that? Yeah, it's easy to do. Sometimes we're just not realistic. We don't really think it through. I think we get kind of excited. Somebody says, well, look at this, this. Oh, yeah, I want to do that. I'll do that. But we have, haven't even really thought through, well, what would that take? You know, we're bad about that with our time, aren't we? You know, I, I, it's like, okay, I'll do this, and 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 I'll do this. You know, do any of you... Uh, do any of you have, how many of you have time where you do absolutely nothing? Some of you do. Do you have some time where you do nothing? Boy, not many of you. So if you were going to do one more thing, how would you do it? Something's going to have to give. Yeah, uh, if you don't have any time you're not doing nothing, then you're going to have to do it in time you're doing something. <laughs> right? right? And so how are you going to do that? Are you not going to do that something? Uh, are you going to get somebody else to do that something? Are you going to do that something quicker? Uh, you know, are you going to do that something while you're doing something else? Uh, I mean, somehow or other, you know, that's the thing we never seem to think. You know, when it comes to time, we think we can always add infinitely more things to do, but it's got to fit somewhere. And most things, if I'm doing it, I'm not doing something else while I'm doing it. <laughs> and so I really need to stop and think about, okay, let's see, what am I going to take out? We do that with spiritual commitments, don't we? You ever made a commitment like, I'm going to study the Bible more? Maybe you even promised it to God. And what ends up happening? Get busy with other things. No, just don't get the time. I just don't have time. Well, you had the same amount of time you knew you were going to have when you made the commitment. You know, your day didn't suddenly uh, lose a few hours. But we shouldn't make commitments like that without really stopping to think, okay, that means I won't do what? <laughs> you know, and that's, that's such a key in that. Thoughts and comments? Kitty. Um, with that, we need to prioritize importance and then organize. So. Yes. We would like to think that we ha get the most important things done, even if the less important things don't get done. But you know how we do with that. We often get the urgent things done, the things that have to be done today if we're going to do them, and we neglect the more important things. Could you study the Bible tomorrow? Could you pray tomorrow? But could you do something, at, could you watch this game tomorrow on VCR? Maybe so, but, you know, there are certain things that we kind of feel like, no, I've got to do them today or I won't get them done. And a lot of the things of God, we could always do them tomorrow. So they're more important, but we always put them off. That's an easy thing, you know, to do. Uh, it's easy to not follow through with the proper priorities. Or you know what else we do? We do the things we like. And we don't do the things that are most important. Or maybe even the things that are easiest. And we don't do the things that are most important. So 
we end up making commitments based upon what our priorities are in our head, but in practice, that's not what we do. Good thoughts. Anything else you want to say about all that? It's good discussion. Stephen. It's just amazing how we can get deceived into thinking that we're being more committed when we're still being more selfish and making these commitments for ourselves and to make ourselves feel better. But really, uh, when it comes down to it, as it says, you know, a faithful man who can find is really being motivated by God and by others is going to help us make the right decision. Amen. Good point. Well, look at verse 7. Here's a righteous man who has good character, and that's how he lives. What is the result of being that kind of man? Yeah. Whole lot more important inheritance to leave to your children than money. Because, you know, the money they're probably just going to spend anyway. And then it's going to be gone. But you leave them a, a, a model, an example of good character, doing the right things. Man, that helps so much. Think about becoming fathers and mothers. Don't think about your fathers and mothers. But think about one of these days, I bet, I bet half of you or more will have children in the next 15 years. That 15 years sounds like a long time. It's really not. What kind, what kind of character are you going to have? What kind, of, what kind of people will your children be able to look at you and see? And most of those character qualities you really develop over a period of time. So you don't usually just suddenly have them. Okay, once I get children, I'll, I'll, I'll be that. You know, we need to become people of good character, good integrity. Thoughts about that? Right. We wait for some sort of life event for, well, now is when I'm going to start, or, you know, now you know, I have, you know, opportunities I didn't before. Well, you know, you just look back at three or four previous life events and see that it didn't work then. Well, it's not going to happen with the next several. Good point. Yeah. <clears throat> it's always easy to imagine what we'll do. It's much harder to carry it out. Verse uh, 8. Here is, you know, the right kind of a king. Now, obviously, a king has power. He has control. But what is the ideal king? What does he do? He's just. He's just. If he's really just and righteous and fair, what will that do to his kingdom? Keep it pure and holy. Yeah. And weed out the, you know, bad guys. You know, it will motivate people to do the right thing. Um, I think, uh, you know, the government is a pretty, has a pretty strong motivational power, don't they? Uh, there are certain things that people don't do because they know they'll get in big trouble <laughs> if they do them. So a just king has a great effect on his kingdom as far as helping people do what's right. Thoughts about that? John? So to do that, he has to be able to discern what's, what's good and what's evil. He's going to win over out the evil. He's got to figure out what, what part is evil. Good point. He has to have principles of justice. 
and, and act on them. I believe that's probably true not just of like kings of governments, but what about the bosses at work and the owners and managers? Or what about leaders and elders in churches and so forth? What about fathers in the home? You know, any leader, if he acts with justice and he promotes what's right, it's going to help the behavior of those under him. Okay. And then, verse uh, 9, what's he saying with this? What is that really saying? That there's no one who can say, I cleanse my heart, I am pure from all sin. Yeah, there's nobody who's 100% pure and doesn't have any issues in their life. There's nobody who can say my heart is 100% genuine and there's nothing impure, there's no stains. Uh, is that true? Would you agree with that, Parker? Is that true for you? But, you know, but, but we often <coughs> think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm totally uh, righteous. We, we may even say that. And because it's hard for us to see our own faults, like we just said before, it's easier to see everybody else's. But our own stains tend to be hidden from us. Once we realize that we cannot say, I am 100% pure, it'll make us more humble, more dependent on God, more patient with others. It will even make us maybe a little less um, to entrust ourselves to other people because we know they also have their flaws. Maybe we won't be so hurt when we find out our greatest hero messed up, you know, because everybody does. I think it's really, it's helpful to see that, you know, when you, you know, if, if we ever think, or if somebody ever says, you know, I don't have any problem, that's not true. Uh, thoughts and comments on that, can Sometimes we may even think that we, we know we've sinned, we know we've been doing wrong, but we think we, um, we ourselves have cleansed ourselves. At the moment, I, I'm doing good because I've um, turned back to God, I've done this, I've cleansed myself, it says here. But... God's the one that cleanses us. We cannot do anything to earn that or forgiveness. That's for sure. We, we are not going to be able to cleanse ourselves. And, you know, even in our better moments, there's still more stuff to work on. Thoughts? J.D. Um, this, I feel this is tied in with it somehow. I think we can, in living Christian lives, be kind of focused on all the don'ts. Instead of, there's a lot of grow in this, and you still have a lot of work to there to do with this. It's not a negative command. So yeah, we didn't break any commands today that are, don't do this, don't do that. But did we act in love and humility and patience in everything we did? Well, no. Okay, then you're not yet who you should be. Yeah, just because we don't, you know, drink or smoke or cuss doesn't always automatically make us totally pure and righteous and committed. That's a good point. John? 
this just kind of reminded me of uh, Philippians 3, 14, and 15. You know, I press on toward the goal of the upward, of the prize, of the upward call in God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. You know, kind of, even people, even if they are perfect, which all men have fallen short of the glory of God, you know, have this attitude. You know, there's always somewhere where we're flawed that we can grow better. It's a good point. Yeah. We, and we need to look at it that way because if we don't, we won't grow. If we've already arrived, then we're not going to be motivated to keep growing. We think we've already attained perfection. Paul was good about that. And if Paul had not already achieved the goal, much less us. Right. Yeah, even when we do start to grow and really do start to become stronger and you know more balanced and more pure, it's a, it's, you can become tempted to become prideful and start looking down on others when you start to grow. Good point. Yeah. John? Well, you can, you can also approach it from a defeatist attitude. Well, I'll never be perfect, so why try? And that's obviously not the point. You know, we, we've got to root out the unrighteous parts of our lives. We've got to deal with the sin that's in our lives. So if you're running a race, do you say, well, I haven't reached the finish line yet. I guess I'll give up. <laughs> what do you keep doing? You're headed toward the finish line. We are growing toward more maturity, more purity, being more total in our commitment to the will of God. We're, we haven't reached it. That's just all the more reason to keep striving. Yeah, good point. We ran saying last night about Peter. You know, Peter could have, he could, if had an excuse to give up, I mean, he failed so many times, but, but he continued on and, and grew and showed himself to be more of what God wanted him to be later. Amen. Very good. Other thoughts? Stephen? Just continuing with the running analogy. Uh, <coughs> the important thing, like the motivation while you're running, is having like, those mile markers where you can see, okay, I've come this far. Uh, and that's what we need to see in God's Word, is being able to, in some way, measure progress and say, look, I know I'm doing better. I'm closer to being like God, you know, this month or this week or this day, you know, uh, than I have been. And being able to see that progress really helps motivate us to keep going. Excellent point. Yeah, it is encouraging. And, and you know, that is what we need is a sense that there is hope. And, and we can, you know, realize that, well, I'm not pure, pure, but I'm purer than I was. And I'm more committed. And, I, and I'm growing. Exactly. Other thoughts? In verse 10, he says this often, don't be dishonest in business. You know, God cares whether you cheat people or not. Don't do something for a buck that's not fair. Always act with justice. Because, you know, when you cheat people, it's an abomination to God. He absolutely hates it. That's a pretty strong term, don't you think? That's, that's something to really give thought to. Comments about that? <laughs> he has said that a few times in here. Yeah, can you explain the, the, the whole concept behind this? Yeah. I mean, it's the idea that uh, if you are, uh, you know, selling something, you sell it by weight. And, you know, we do that too. When you go to the deli, you buy, you know, shaved ham by weight. Well, what if they, Jimmy with the scales? 
to where it shows that it's heavier than what it is. And so you, you actually pay more, or you pay for, for less product than what you thought you were. And, and they would also sometimes weigh out the money. Sometimes the money was by weight. And so if you're, you know, if you met monkey with the scales, you're actually maybe getting more money for less product. And so you're cheating. That's the idea. Don't do that. But it would be an easy thing to do because you want to make more. So, you know, if I can cheat, if I can short somebody something, then I'll have more to sell and I'll make more money. Cameron. I have a note in my um, index here that says the literal meaning is a stone and a stone, an ephah and an ephah. How does that translate to differing weights and different Well, you have one stone when you're buying and another when you're <laughs> selling, you know, because you weigh something by comparison. You know, they didn't have the electronic digital scales back then. So you put a weight of a stone that weighs so much on one side, and then you equal it out, and that's how you weigh something. You have two different stones. Then you have one stone when you're selling and another stone when you're buying. Or one stone when you're weighing out the product and another stone when you're weighing out the money. <laughs> that kind of uh, gets to be uh, not very fair. Yeah. Other questions? J.D.? Uh, I think there's a Norman Rockwell painting where they're weighing something like that and they can't see it, but the one, I, the one like lady who's buying it is like, hiding with her finger trying to push it up on her side <laughs> and the guy who's selling it on the other hand is trying to you know push it up on his side at the same time they don't realize that they're both doing it <laughs> that's kind of what happens if we live in a society and we live in a culture where it's wicked you know the one person starts cheating so i feel like well i've got to start cheating to get by and so it just cr creates this uh, awful society and we think something that's a little small uh, is it going to affect anything? It really does affect others, and you do that in your family, and you're going to cheat, cheat them out, or act selfishly here or there, and that's going to have repercussions, and it's, uh, it really can be a big, big thing. Are we ever tempted to cheat? What would be our issues with cheating? Plus work. Yeah. Maybe not doing the work you said you were, would, you know, doing, not, not really working during the time you're on the clock. Uh, do, several, several of you have jobs. Do you, do you like, like punch a time clock? Do you have a, how many of you work in a job where you have some kind of a time clock or you write down your hours or something like that? So are you supposed to clock out like if you have a lunch break or something like that? Some of you... What if you didn't clock out? So you could get, do, do what? You'd still put in your lunch break. Yeah, okay. But sometimes, I mean, sometimes people just, they don't, they don't bother. Or they get somebody else to clock in for them when they're not there, and things like that. There's people will do that. And it depends on how close to their supervisor. Sometimes they can get by with it. You know, what are some other ways we're tempted to cheat? Have other people do jobs for us, perhaps? Okay. Could be, yeah. So it looks like we were there and did it, but we didn't. Like they, they said that there's this controversy going on where the people taking tests, like they pay other people to do it for them. 
Yeah. And they get higher grades so they can go to a better college. Yes. Have you ever known anyone to cheat in school? I won't ask you if you've ever done that. <laughs> Is there really anything wrong with that? Let's say you're taking a, uh, a test and uh, you didn't really get a chance to study and you're sitting beside a pretty good student. Is there really anything wrong with looking at their answers? What's wrong with that? Right? There's nothing wrong with looking at them. Well, that was my idea. <laughs> Is there anything wrong with using their answers to help you on the test? <laughs> This is not helping you learn what you need to learn and apply later. Well, that's true. It's counterproductive in the long run because you're not learning it. But is there anything, is there anything that, that's sinful about, about using their answers on the test to help you? It's deceit. It's deceit. Why would you say it's deceit? Because you wrote it as yours. Yes. Whose name did you put on it? <laughs> yours. So what are you implying? <coughs> that, you, that you were the one that came up with those answers. You put your name on the test and somebody else's answers, you're cheating. What about if you say you use somebody else's homework and you write down their answers on your homework? Would that be the same thing? Now, it may be okay, depending on your teacher, to get somebody and work together with them on your homework. They may allow that. And if they allow that, that may be what the teacher wants, is for you to work together. Even at that, you'd have to be honest. Working together doesn't mean you're just copying their answers. It means you're working together. You have to do what the teacher would require that is an honest thing. There's lots of ways to cheat. You, you probably wouldn't do this yet uh, because you're a little young for this, but, but have you ever sold like, you know, a car or something like that? If you sell a car and uh, you make it look good and you say, yeah, this thing runs great, and you know that every third time it won't start, you know, is that, is that honest? You know, you have to be honest. But if you tell them every third time it won't start, they won't pay you as much money for it. You know, so you see the reason why we'd be motivated to cheat. Uh, we need to be honest even if it means we don't make as much money. You know, because our character is a lot more important than our money. On your taxes. Your taxes? Yeah. Um, eventually, some of you are already here, but, but uh, you may... Uh, you may hire somebody to do a job for you and they'll say, okay, I'll do it for this much if you'll pay me in cash. You know why they want to be paid in cash instead of, say, a check? Megan? So that they know that it's there. Not just that. So that they don't have to pay taxes on it. Why do they not have to pay taxes on it? Yeah, there's no proof that they ever got the money because there's no canceled check or anything. And so that's the idea is, you know, you pay me in cash, then we'll never be able to prove it happened. And so the, uh, you know, government won't be able to, uh, 
it, you still owe the tax. You, ethically, honestly, you still owe it. But you, you hide it to where nobody will find out and you don't pay it. You can cheat the government just like you cheat the school or just like you cheat your, you know, the guy you're selling the car to or whatever, and it's still sinful. Stephen? One tricky thing, and I feel like maybe Christians often fall more into this, is where you're doing the work and you're doing right, but there's somebody else who's not, and then you have to tell on them, basically. Um, and sometimes, like, that, that's, that makes me really hard. Um, like, if you're in like, a group project or whatever, and you're the one doing the work, and you don't want to be responsible for them getting a bad grade, even though they're not doing the work, but you're the one who has to tell the teacher or whatever, like, hey, they're not doing the work. Sometimes our, our honesty, we're not always the one to pay for it. Uh, and we need to be sure it's not doing them a favor to not be honest about what what's really going on. Yeah, and there's all kinds of principles that come into play in some things. Sometimes I'm not responsible, I'm not expected to tell, and the principle of not, you know, speaking when there's not a reason to would come into play. Other times I may be asked for, to, to tell, you know, who contributed what, and I'd have to be honest about that. I couldn't lie to protect someone. It doesn't mean that I'm always supposed to tattle on everybody. You know, there's a lot of principles involved. Uh, but honesty is always required. I can never lie for any reason. Good point. Other comments. I was but, just thinking of a spiritual application. Sometimes we'll cheat God by saying, oh, we're going to you know, follow you and do what you say, and then we don't do it, following the principle of verse 6. Good point. Yeah. So lots of things to think about <laughs> from one verse. Look at verse 11. What makes you know that a young man has good character? By his actions. What he does. That's exactly right. And really, even early on, a very young man shows what his character's like by how he behaves. Behavior is a much better guide to character than appearance or words. That's really true. You can tell somebody by what they do, not just by what they talk or by what kind of a mask they put on. We're good at putting on masks and trying to look good. That doesn't mean we are good. So always remember that. You're only as good as you are. I hear people talking about, <coughs> well, I want to be sure that I'm a good example. Make sure you're a good example. And what sometimes people mean by that is make sure you look good. Make sure other people see you doing well. Well, what's the most effective way to look good? Be good. Be good. When we start worrying about, well, what are they seeing in me? then we're tempted to try to somehow project an image that's not accurate. The best way to be a good example is just be what you ought to be. Don't even think too much about how to get them to see it. That that's really has some bad consequences. If, if you are what you ought to be, then they'll see it. Sooner or later, in various ways, probably ways you haven't even thought about, you don't have to try to show it as much as just be what you ought to be. 
Live how you ought to live. Chris. Very applicable. I mean, we're sitting here looking at a room full of lads. <laughs> yes, and lasses. <laughs> and, and, and laddies. <laughs> uh, but you think about it, you know, sitting here in the Bible study, we make comments, you know, and we participate, and then we take a break and we do what? You know, what are we doing? Our actions. So somebody comes in and sees, oh, this person seems spiritual, and this person, but we know better. No. <laughs> well, and we might just be making the comments for the purpose of looking good or impressing somebody or whatever. You know, we've always got to do everything we do for the Lord and not to try to give an impression. We really have to work on that. We're way too concerned about what are people going to think about me and not so concerned about being what we ought to be. Yes, I think that's exactly right. The idea of denying yourself and some of those things ultimately involves just focusing on the Lord and seeking and loving Him to the point that you aren't really in the picture. You're not thinking about it from the standpoint of yourself. You're just focused on the Lord, on serving others like He wants you to because you care about that. I've used the illustration a lot of times. Uh, 30, 31 years ago, uh, I spent the summer with an older preacher, Aud McKee, and he was then about 60, and I lived in his home. And I, I was, it was kind of like a training idea. And I, I didn't know a lot, but I thought I could learn a lot by asking questions. So I asked him a ton of questions. One of the things that I observed, he was a very good man, he was served, he was faithful to the Lord, very good man. But as I asked him questions, it dawned on me, you know, he never thinks about himself. It wasn't that he thought lowly of himself or highly of himself. He just didn't think about himself. He was focused on the Lord and on those he was serving and on the cause. And I would ask him certain questions and, and it would kind of baffle him because he really didn't think about himself. It was just really impressive. I, I, this was the first time I'd been around somebody and I really noticed, you know, he didn't really think about himself. He's just thinking about the work and the people and, and God. And that's so much better than trying not to think about yourself. Anything you try not to think about, it uh, does end up kind of defeating itself. <laughs> Other thoughts? We'll look at verse 12. The hearing eye, uh, or the hearing ear, let me get that right. <laughs> this thing, uh, properly combined. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made both of them. So we need to use our ear and our eye for what the Lord wants us to. He made them. We ought to use the ear to listen to the Lord, the eye to see his word. Look at what the fool does. He misuses both the ear and the eye. 1724, 
last half, the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. He's always looking at things that are not even real. 23.9, do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. A fool will listen to wisdom, and he won't see wisdom. But God made your eye and the ear, your ear. You ought to use them for the Lord. Thoughts and comments? So God is pleased with both of those, just like he's not pleased with verse 10, the differing weights he measures. Yes. Yeah, the things God made, that's what he wants us to use. Camera. Well, look at what Bill's mentioned now. And many times we want to be talking, and we want to be um, showing, God made my mouth for talking, right? But <laughs> <laughs> it just talks about the ears and um, eyes here. And we need to be sitting back and listening sometimes and watching what's going on. What's the difference between the eyes and the ears versus the mouth? There's two of them. There's only one mouth. That's one point, yeah. <laughs> the ears and eyes receive information and the mouth kind of expels it. Yes, you're exactly right. You take stuff in with your eyes and ears. You put stuff out with your mouth. And so we can't really say anything worthwhile until we've learned. You know, we got to, the priority is receiving or otherwise we have nothing to dispense. Good point. Why? You know, if, if you try to teach the Bible and you don't know the Bible, you're not going to be a good teacher. I don't care how good a talker you are and how good a personality you have and how funny your illustrations are and you know how loud you are and how good your gestures are. None of that really matters if you don't have any content. Mm -hmm. It just becomes a little pretty speech about nothing. So the best, it, you know, if you want to, to teach better, learn more. That's the number one thing. Thoughts? Cameron? Um, this passage um, really reminds me of an um, Old Testament passage that was repeated over and over in the New Testament. And then Paul, whenever um, he was talking to people in Rome and they weren't really listening to him, um, he finishes off one last word to him. He says, Go to those people and say, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of the people has become dull, and their ears have scarcely heard. And they have closed their, they have closed their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. Sometimes we see, but we don't see. We hear, but we don't hear. And to see and to hear, we have to make responses to that. We have to be doing something, not just seeing and hearing. We have to watch what we're looking at and what we're listening to and then take God's words in. Good point. There are some proverbs now, more or less, on some business practices. 13 to 17. Do not lull sleep, for you will become poor. Open your eyes and you will be satisfied with food. Bad, bad, says the buyer, but when he goes away, then, then he boasts. There is gold and an abundance of jewels, but the lips of knowledge are more precious, are more precious than. Take, take his garment when he becomes surety for a stranger, and for foreigners hold him in pledge. 
Bread obtained by falsehood is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth will be filled with gravel. Very true. Verse 13. What's the uh, quick way to the poorhouse? Sleeping. Sleeping. <laughs> Isn't it funny? We want to live a long life, and yet we purposely shorten it by just sleeping and lounging around and just uh, being lazy. And this is not talking about needed sleep. God made our bodies to where they require sleep. This is talking about the sleep we don't need just because we aren't energetic and diligent. Do you ever sleep more than what you really ought to? Why do we sleep too much when we do sleep too much? Some of you don't. But some of you sleep when you shouldn't. Why do you do that? It's fun. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> what makes it fun? <clears throat> Involved not doing something else. Yes. And why don't we want to do the something else? Work. Yeah, it's work. Exactly. It's not fun. It's not. It's going to take effort. It's going to be something unpleasant. We often sleep to avoid. You know, to avoid responsibilities, to avoid things we don't want to do, to avoid just having to discipline ourselves to do the right thing. So that kind of sleep will make you poor because you'll sleep when you ought to be doing something productive that will provide for yourself. What's going to happen when you grow up and you become a husband and a father and you've got you know, some little mouths to feed and you sleep instead of going to work? That's not going to work very well. <laughs> you know, so just excessive sleep is a sign of laziness and that's going to make you poor. Thoughts and comments about that? J.D.? I think maybe a real direct parallel for us is like the recreational generation of TV and just kind of sitting in on a reading for pleasure. I mean, just kind of, or sitting there listening to your iPod, or whatever. Because probably in terms of like hours of sleep, we probably get less sleep than our forefathers because we sit around and stay up watching TV or stay up watching whatever because we have light instead of candles and we have things to entertain us endlessly. And so we just really waste a lot of time and uh, it may not be actual sleep, but it, it might as well be. It's brain sleep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. You know, there's a lot of things that are equally lazy. We're still avoiding the responsibilities and the work and the things we need to do. Instead of sleeping, we're being semi-entertained. You know, that, you know, we're giving our thumbs a workout, you know, or... Uh, you know, hearing or whatever, watching, but we're not doing. And, and that self-indulgent use of our time is such a horrible pattern for us. It was so much better in, in this sense in the olden days where when you were six years old, you had to go out to the field and start, you know, hoeing the weeds and doing a bunch of jobs you didn't like, but it's the only way you were gonna eat, is for the kids who were old enough to start working, because it developed a pattern that you have to do the jobs you have to do. Today, mostly our parents give us everything until we're way older than we need to be before we start doing anything, and we develop a self-indulgent concept of when I don't feel like it, 
I don't do anything productive, I just do what's fun. Good, com good comment. Th thoughts? Do you see yourself in that? Good thing to think about. 14, isn't this so true? Do you see this, what this is saying? Bad, bad, says the buyer. But when he goes his way, then he boasts. Do you see what he's saying with that? What's the guy doing? Scamming someone? Sort of. Megan? He's saying that the product that he's buying is bad, so it's worth a lot less. But it's actually a really good product. <laughs> yes. So when he's buying and he says, oh, this is bad, this is bad, what's he trying to do? Get the price. Yes, get the seller to lower the price. Oh, look at this. Oh, look at that. Oh, it's not worth this. Oh, it's got this defect. It's got that defect. Trying to get the seller to sell it for less money. Then as soon as he buys it, what does he go around and do? Look at what I got. Yeah, tells everybody what a great deal he got. You know, man, I, I, I got it for this. Man, that was a great price. So what's wrong with that? Swindling them down to that great price. Yeah. So what's the sin involved in that? Cheat, deceit. Deceit, cheating. There's no stronger word than that. Gonna be a hypocrite in a way. Being a hypocrite? How about lying? You know, oh, it's not worth that. It's only worth this. And then you go out and say, oh, it was worth a lot more than what I paid for it. Well, now, which time did you lie? <laughs> you know, yeah, probably so. That's probably right. Yeah, we've got to be honest. I mean, you can cheat somebody as the buyer just like you can cheat somebody as the seller. <laughs> we don't think about that. We think the buyer has the right to lie about the product, just the seller can. Isn't it amazing how many things God figured out? and saw in men. And isn't it amazing they were doing that 3,000 years ago? <laughs> you know, that's not a modern phenomenon. I mean, it sounds like, you know, the used car lot, uh, you know, this afternoon. <laughs> Other thoughts on that one? It doesn't mean you always have to pay full price. I mean, you can could, you could ask somebody if you take less. And Absolutely. Yes, it's not wrong to negotiate. It's wrong to lie when you're negotiating. That, that's the thing. It's wrong. Here's something people do. You know, they want to buy something and they want to pay less for it and they say, well, I only have $500. Can you take $500? The guy said, no, but I'll take six. Okay. <laughs> what did that just prove? <laughs> You know, we will lie when we don't think about it. Now, you might say, I only want to pay 500 Or would you give it to me for 500 That's what I'd like to pay. But if you say, well, I'm sorry, I only have 500 That's all I can give you. And the guy said, well, I can't take that, but I'll take six. And you say, here's your six. You just lied about you only had 500 You know, we do things like that. In, in business, it's so common to be dishonest that it doesn't even seem like it's dishonest. That just seems normal. But it's dishonest. <laughs> Cameron. Um, in, verse, uh, in this verse, he, when he says he goes out and boasts about it, 
what what are we wanting to boast about? <laughs> if we're wanting to boast about God, like we should be trying to boast about, then we will be trying to get God. We're trying to get His Word. If we're wanting to boast about these possessions, then we're going to be trying to swindle all of this down and get these possessions. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, it would be much more productive if we had a, a higher goal in what we brag about. JD. Well, this first thing to think about, I'm not sure it's, it's the point of it, is like I could see someone really scamming me because someone comes to me and says, yeah, it's not worth this. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. And you kind of feel stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. And then, of course, you know, they knew what they were talking about. They, they scammed me out of it. And uh, I think if we're, trying, if we're trying to be honest, amiable, nice people, we can really get scammed ourselves because we would never, we think it's bad to set boundaries so people don't cheat us when we may need to be thought, well, I don't know if you're cheating us or not, but I'm not moving the price. That's a good point. When somebody tells you bad, bad, that may only be their line to try to get a better price. <laughs> when they tell you I only have 500, they probably have way more than that. <laughs> you know, with worldly people, you really don't expect honesty. You know, it's wise to be wise. Other thoughts? <laughs> Those are wise statements. All right, look at verse 15. There's gold and an abundance of jewels, but the lips of knowledge are a more precious thing. You know, compared to, you know, wise speech, rubies are plentiful. You know, they're rare, but people who say things that are wise and knowledgeable are even rarer. What a blessing it is when somebody actually has wisdom from God to tell you. Uh, there's not many who can do that. That's an interesting way to look at that, isn't it? Let's value that wisdom. Let's want that. Comments? Look at 16. I love this one. Do you understand it? You know, he says, take his garment when he becomes surety for a stranger. The idea of surety is this idea of like co-signing alone. You know, the idea of a co-signer. You know, you want to buy a car and the bank won't lend you the money because they don't think you'll pay it back. So you get a friend to sign on the loan with you and they think he'd have the money to pay it back. So you're the one supposed to pay the loan, but if you don't pay it, he has to because he signed on it. Well, he says, take his garment when he becomes surety for a stranger. If a guy's dumb enough to co-sign a loan for somebody he doesn't know, you might as well go ahead and take his shirt because he's going to lose it anyhow. <laughs> you know? I mean, what's going to happen when he does that? The guy's not going to pay and he's going to have to pay. And especially if he doesn't have it to pay, He's going to lose things that he really needs because he signed that loan. That's just dumb. Don't sign the loan to somebody you don't know. Right. Well, some people would, you know, at least try to pay it back, you know, to save their friendship. But if you don't know them, then they have no reason to pay it back. I mean, they they just got a free whatever they they signed the thing for. Sometimes we will obligate ourselves in really foolish things. Maybe because we don't want to say no. Maybe because we think it's rude. You know, somebody, and it's like, no. 
obligating yourself financially to some commitment <laughs> is not something you ought to do lightly. Wait, Caleb. Especially nowadays, banks aren't stupid. I mean, they usually know when they can trust people. And if the bank won't trust them, there's probably valid reason behind why you shouldn't trust their commitment with financial either. That's an interesting point. It's exactly right. Yeah. Bank didn't think they were going to pay for whatever that's worth. Good point. Other thoughts? And then in 17... Bread obtained by falsehood is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be filled with gravel. <laughs> Do you understand that idea? Man, stealing bread, you know, lying to get your bread, all oh, that bread tasted good, but the long-term consequences are going to be painful. Isn't that the way sin is? It tastes good in the short run, but in the long run, you're going to have a mouthful of gravel. We always have to think about the long term when it comes to sinful things, not just the fun it's going to be or the gratification it's going to be right now. Thoughts and comments about that? Think that's almost the theme of Proverbs. Think about the long run, John. It's interesting. It's his mouth that's filled with gravel, not his stomach. Um, and so, you know, if you obtain by falsehood your mouth becomes useless. It becomes untrustworthy, perhaps. Good point. Yeah, you reap what you sow. Other thoughts? All right. Um, let's do 18 to 23. Make plans by seeking advice. If you wage war, obtain guidance. A gossip betrays a a confidence. So avoid a man who talks too much. If a man curses his father or mother, his lamp will be snuffed out in pitch darkness. An inheritance quickly gained at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Do not say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. 323? Mm -hmm. The Lord detests differing ways, and dishonest scales do not please him. Alright, verse 18. When you make an important decision, what should you do? Have a plan and get some advice. Yes. Don't, uh, don't do something important without listening to wise counsel from other people. Does that make sense? Because you, they, other wise people might see some things that you really need to think about before you decide. What are important decisions that we really ought to get good advice about before we make them? Getting married. Getting married? If we don't make the decision, but it says, no counsel before you go to war. Yeah. <laughs> Going to war? <laughs> a national decision, but that's exactly what it's saying. Kind of like going to war, that might not even just talk about like, between two nations, but between two individuals. If you're having a disagreement and before you go after them or say something about them, you should find guidance into the situation. Maybe that other person is right and you're wrong. Good point. Sometimes before you confront, you need to get advice. Because maybe you'll say something really that's going to be harmful. 
What other important decisions do we need to get advice about before we make them? Your job. Your job? College. College. Leaving home, <laughs> moving somewhere, and so forth and so on. There's lots of important decisions we make. And sometimes we just up and make them. We don't listen to anybody, Evan. It can be as even buying a car. I mean, if we're not a, if you're not trained in what a car needs to be, you know, if you don't know what to look for, you know, same thing buying a house. Anything that's, that's going to require an investment that's going to be a long term. You know, if you buy a car that's a lemon and you could have seen it beforehand, you're throwing your money away. You know, if you, if you buy a house with a bad foundation, <laughs> you, know, you rush into a purchase of that. You know, you can spend thousands and thousands of dollars and not come out ahead. And, and so, you know, even in more mundane things, getting consultation by people who are knowledgeable can be advantageous to us. Yeah, and people who are knowledgeable, who should you talk to to give you good advice? Your best friend who always tells you what you want to hear? Who always said, yeah, go for it? Uh, if you're buying a car, you might want to talk to some people who know a little bit about cars. More than just driving them. You know? Uh, if you, you know, and, and not necessarily just one person. You know, if you're going to buy a house, you might want to have a few people who know different things about houses give their opinion or, or whatever. If you're going to get married, you might want to have several people's, wise people's opinion about that or whatever. There's a lot of reasons to seek wise counselors who really know something about what they're talking about. You know, if, if you're, you're making a... Uh, big decision about something, talking to somebody who's never ever been involved in those kind of decisions. You know, I want to know what, what college to go to and I'm talking to one of my buddies who's never been to a college. That's probably interesting, but he's probably not going to have really good advice about it. You know, what does he know about it? And, and so forth and so on. Um, if you're wanting to make a spiritual decision, you know, what am I going to do with my life spiritually? You'd want to talk to wise, spiritually-minded people who can give you wise guidance. Just make perfect sense. Thoughts? Look at verse uh, 19. Very true. What does a gossip do? He tells things he's not supposed to about other people. Someone has said that the tongue of the gossip is the secret to perpetual motion. It just keeps wagging, you know, it just keeps going. Well, so this person who tells you everybody else's secrets that they've told him, how should that affect your conversation with that person? I'm not going to tell them my secrets. <laughs> uh, yeah, if he's told you everyone else's, I bet you he'll tell everybody else yours. Probably not the guy for you to hang out with. You know, 
Um, I mean, that just makes sense. For whatever reason, sometimes we tend to be more open with the person who's less trustworthy. But I mean, you may like listening to gossip, but just remember, he's doing the same thing with you to other people. So if you want to trust somebody, are they trustworthy with everybody else's secrets? Comments? Problems not only do they reveal secret value, but they reveal things that aren't true. Good point. Yeah. It's a good point. That's even worse. <laughs> you put those two verses together, seek guidance, not gossip. Yes. Good point. Sometimes under the disguise of seeking guidance, we want to gossip. Oh, I want your advice about this, but what we really want is to talk bad about somebody else and make people turn against them. Sometimes we'll do that. Other thoughts? And then in uh, 2020, it's a terrible thing to curse father or mother. When it's dark, your lamp will go out. God really says a lot about uh, respecting parents and not doing something against them. Uh, it makes sense. If your parents have sacrificed themselves to serve you, to turn against them is really cruel. Um, and, and so, you know, that's clear. And verse 21, an inheritance gained hurriedly at the beginning will not be blessed in the end. Well, who gives you your inheritance? Typically your parents. But if you stop and think about it, what happens if you get a big, quick inheritance? You know, what's going to happen if uh, you turn 18 and suddenly your parents pass away and leave you a ton of money? How will that probably affect most 18-year-olds? Yes, they'll spend it as soon as they can, Riley. They'll be broke before midnight. Yeah, easy money does not generally lead to financial responsibility. Uh, even if it's gained honestly, if it comes too easy, it usually hurts us. Most of us would love to have a large amount of money. But if we suddenly got a large amount of money, it would probably hurt us more than it helped us. Most people who win the lottery, by playing the lottery, they've probably already proven that they don't know how to manage money. But most people who win the lottery are broke quickly, even if they win a lot, because they don't do wise things with the money that they get too easily. It is more common to use money wisely if you have to work hard to receive it. Does that make sense? You know, you're going to, you're going to appreciate it more. If you get a, a sudden gift, you know, you didn't work for it, so it doesn't mean very much to you. Comments? Ethan? When I go to the store to shop for groceries and stuff for the family, if my parents are paying, I, I don't really look at the price, I just grab what's off the shelf. But if I'm paying, I'll stand there for like 10 minutes <laughs> deciding which one's actually the cheapest and which one I get the most value for. That's like this thing that we're talking about. If, 
you gain money quickly or it's not really yours and you get it to spend, you aren't gonna you aren't gonna value it as much. You're gonna spend it. That's so true. That what Ethan said is very much what we all face. You know, there's a lot of times when it's easier to spend somebody else's money. It's easier to spend the money I didn't have to work for because it doesn't mean much. There's a real blessing in you know earning something ourselves and having to work for it. We we appreciate it. Other thoughts? Okay, uh, you've got uh, 22. Don't repay evil. Wait for the Lord. It's that idea of, of revenge belongs to God. And we should not take revenge into our own hands and try to pay back the evil ourselves. That's not our job. God will take care of that in the right way at the right time. Uh, we've, we've thought about that before. Comments about that? Yes. Probably when you try at average, it'll probably be pretty more you and anybody else that Why does it hurt us more when we try to get even? It's not the right way to do it. It's not. What usually happens when we try to get even? They get back again. Yeah. What did you say, John? They get back you. Yes. For some reason or other, me and my enemy don't usually agree on what even is. And when I even it out, they think it's odd. And so they have to respond. Who's the classic biblical example of somebody who kept doing that? Samson. Samson. Every time he got to, tried to get even, the Philistines thought it was uneven again, and vice versa. And it just escalated. So, not a good plan. God knows how to take vengeance properly and wisely. David. Yeah, it's just amazing how many times we look at God's judgment in the scriptures and sometimes we're like, man, that's way too harsh. Or wow, I can't believe he like didn't do more about that. But that's because we don't see things always as God does. God knows exactly how much punishment will mean. And we need to trust him for that. Being sinners ourselves, our judgment about that is not very good. God God knows exactly, but if, if it was left up to us, we would not act wisely, so we're better off leaving it to him for sure. Other thoughts? Cameron? Sometimes we might decide that, well, God's, God's going to get vengeance, but he's going to get it through me, and I, I'm going to repay evil because God's sending me so that he can get even. <laughs> but <laughs> we need not to be thinking that. We need to just let God do it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, God didn't exactly tell me that was my job, so... <laughs> And then 23, we're again back to this idea of the differing weights and the false scale. How many times does he warn about cheating? And I assume he warns about it often because it's very common. And it's a constant problem. Thoughts? Okay, uh, 24 to 30. Man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? It is a trap for man to say rashly, it is holy, and after the vow to make an inquiry. A wise king winnows the wicked and drives the threshing wheel over them. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the innermost parts of his being. 
Loyalty and truth preserve the king, and he upholds his throne by righteousness. The glory of young men is their strength, and the honor of old men is their gray head. Stripes that wounds score away evil, and strokes reach the innermost parts. Okay, look at verse 24. We have a free will, but God ends up being in control in ways we don't even understand. You know, so the truth is what we do is ordained by the Lord. Think about this. You know the story of Esther? And remember that the king that one night couldn't sleep and he had the uh, court records read to him. <laughs> I guess that was a pretty good sleeping aid. And he found out where uh, Mordecai had saved his life and then found out nothing had been done to honor him. wonder why he couldn't sleep that night. You know, there's so many times when you see the hand of God behind things that you didn't even realize God was involved with. So that's something to, to keep in mind that really, you know, uh, man's steps are ordained by the Lord. He's really the one in charge. Thoughts? I wonder why the guy reading the Chronicles just opened that one spot. I mean, of all the places where he could have read. Yeah, yeah absolutely. There's a lot of coincidences in life, aren't there? That's <laughs> yeah. what those who don't trust the Lord see in that anyway. And then in 25, it, don't say rashly it's holy. And then start investigating afterwards. To say something's holy is to say I'm dedicating it to God. Don't dedicate something God, to God and then afterwards think, cost me or you know I don't know if I can really do that you know it's a little late after you vowed it in other words don't impulsively and hastily commit something and then think well I don't can I do that always better to think carefully and be slow to make a commitment be slow to say oh yeah I'll do that can you do that just thinking before we speak you know, reflecting before we commit, it'll save us a lot of trouble. Thoughts? Oh, a question. How do how might we do that today? Is this talking about dedicating an item? An item? It could That's be. Holy or uh, something that we're promising to do. I think either of them would fit into the category. I mean, saying it's holy would be like saying this is given to God. But really, we could do that with various kinds of things. The same principle applies. That come in. Yes? It reminds me of, um, I think it was Jephthah, who made the promise that he would sacrifice whatever came out of his door first, and then his daughter came out first. Good point, yeah. That was not a very smart commitment. I mean, wow. <laughs> he ought to have thought about it. It might have been his daughter. Of course, then again, he probably should have thought about the fact God doesn't really like human sacrifices. <laughs> you know? Uh, but it's easy for us to even make like an open-ended commitment where we don't really know what's going to be required. And that goes back to even being a surety. What if I say, oh, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll, I'll pay whatever it costs. I don't want to do that unless you know what it might cost. 
I mean, you know, sometimes you make these commitments when you don't even realize <laughs> what might be involved. That's very foolish. John? Any deal or commitment that you have to decide upon that very day. You know, this, this deal ends today. Yeah. <laughs> 99% of the time, you're better off walking away from it because you're trying to be pressured into something without having the time to think and understand it through. And why was the seller thinking he needed to pressure you to do that? Because if you had the time, you wouldn't make the Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Almost all of those are bad deals. Because otherwise, they wouldn't need to pressure you for it. Brandon? I think a lot of times people make commitments right after they sin to help ease their conscience. Yes. Exactly. I try to make up for it. And we make a foolish commitment just because we're trying to feel better and relieve our guilt. Good point. Stephen. On the converse side of this, those, those really take time to make vows and make commitments. It's really good. We said Hannah in First Samuel 1, you know, she offered her child, but she did that after a whole lot of prayer and fasting and, you know, uh, you know inquiring the Lord about those things. And so it's not that it's wrong to make a commitment. But it's wrong to make the hasty commitment. Yes. Draw the distinction. Yes. Excellent point. Commitments can help us. Sometimes they can, you know, lead us to do good things. But if we do them impulsively without, you know, reflecting on what we need to do, then we'll probably break it or hurt ourselves badly. One of the two. Jane. I'm just going on Katie's point. And this is something I didn't get for a long time. Uh, we God doesn't want us to do something sinful, like Jephthah sacrificed his daughter. Uh, even if we did vow it, the, then the sin was that we, we vowed that when we shouldn't have done that. Good point. When uh, Herod promised his stepdaughter to give her anything she wanted up to half the kingdom, and she wanted John's head, what should he have done? Repented. Yeah, he should have repented and not regarded his sinful vow. Two wrongs never make a right. Carrying out a sinful promise doesn't make it suddenly okay. It just compounds the sin. So that's a good point. If we do end up committing to something that's wrong, we should repent of making the wrong commitment, not fulfill it and do another one. Good comments. What about uh, 26? A wise king winnows the wicked and drives the threshing wheel over them. You know, a righteous king punishes the wicked uh, you know that's the king's job and if he's wise he's not going to let them buy with doing things that are wrong a king that doesn't have any guts to punish the criminal what's probably going to happen to his society he's populated by a bunch of criminals and there's a need to punish evildoers you usually agree with that unless you happen to be one of them. Uh, 27. I like this. The spirit of the man, of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the innermost parts of his being. I think what that's saying is that you've got a spirit in you that God gave you that can shine the light in the dark corners of your life and you can see who you really are if you'll do it. We have the ability to know ourselves. Sometimes we would prefer not knowing ourselves and deceiving ourselves. But God gives us the lamp on our spirit so that we can really know our true character. 
and, and we need, we need to, to avail ourselves of that. I think that's the idea of that. Comments? Makes you think a little bit more. 28, the king upholds his throne by righteousness. When a king only tries to keep in power by force, eventually somebody's going to come in with a stronger force. The best way to preserve his kingship is righteousness and loyalty and truth. The best way to preserve any position is do the right thing. Don't just try to have a bigger stick. You know, anytime you're in authority, your biggest tool is righteousness, not power. That's something to think about. If you're the boss, do the right thing. Don't just yell louder. Comments? And then uh, 29. I like this. What's the <laughs> blessing of young men? What do they have? Their strength. Their strength. They've got energy, strength. What's the blessing of an old man? No. Well, yes, but what does their gray hair mean? Yeah, it's their experience, it's their long life. You know, for one thing, if you've lived that long, you probably have to know something to survive that long. And, uh, you know, there, there's things you learn through experiences. So the great thing about being young is your strength and energy. The great thing about being old is the wisdom and experience. Now, some young people don't use their strength, and some old people don't learn from their experiences. But in general, that's the blessing of each age. Comments? Well, stop asking all the old people to help you move. <laughs> and stop asking all your buddies who are the same age as you are for advice. You know, go to the young ones to help you move, and the old ones to give you good advice. Stephen. Also, this thing is a helpful perspective to this. It's like, you know, take advantage of whatever resource you have at the age you are. We spend like, a lot of time like, just wishing we were at a different stage in life instead of using all the blessings that we have right now. You'll never be this young again. Take advantage of that. What a blessing. Almost everybody my age looks back and thinks, I wish I had done this, I wish I had done that. When I was young and had energy, I, thankfully I still have energy, but, but uh, one of these days I won't. When, when, you were, when I was young and I had energy, I wish I had done this and that and the other. Because eventually, one of two things happens. Either you get old or you die, or you die young. You know, but, but well, it's going to happen, so take advantage of that youth. And then as you get older, use the wisdom that experience should be giving you. That's a blessing. Don't just wish you were young. Take advantage of the blessing that you have from, from the age. Thoughts? And then 30. Stripes that wound scour away evil and strokes reach the innermost parts. What's that basically saying? Trials are good, and even, you know, 
a good spanking will straighten up the kid. Uh, isn't that true? I mean, corporal punishment really deters wickedness. You know, some good punishment in the courtroom that's consistent and firm leads people to break the law less. I mean, you know, how many people learn when there's no teeth in it? Let's say this. You've got a really nice guy boss, and he lets people come in any time of the day they want to. He never says anything when you're three hours late to work. Well, what do the people who work for that boss end up doing? Coming in late to work. What if you have a boss that the third time you come in late, it's going to affect your paycheck? And the sixth time, you're going to be dismissed. Guess what? People seem to get to work on time at that, that company. <laughs> The punishment and the fear of the punishment that's consistent leads to better behavior. Makes sense. So being a really nice guy when you're an authority may not be as effective as being consistent and firm in the punishments. And certainly that's true with children. Man, when you have children, don't just be nice to them. Don't want to just be their buddy. You lo love them enough to punish them appropriately and train them to obey and to do the right things. Comments? When you're young, you might just watch that. You know some little kids. And you know some that are very well behaved and respectful, and you know some that are real brats. Start watching their parents. Start observing what are the habits of the parents who have really good children, and what are the habits of the parents that have children that are terrible. The parents who have terrible children will tell you, oh, I just have children that are very, you know, ADHD, or I have parents, the kids that are very hyper, or I have kids that... But you start observing, and you'll probably start noticing some common characteristics of the parenting styles of those who have well-behaved children, of those whose children are out of control. That can teach you a lot for when you have children. It's a good, good policy. All right, well, let's take a break. Thank you for your comments.